Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ausbiz live from our Barangaroo studios. Nice to have your company for the next hour or so for the call. Um, two experts analyze 10 stocks that you've sent in for me to put to them all on this Tuesday, the 7th of March. Let's get straight into a panel today. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Scott, how are you? Good afternoon to you. Koshi, good afternoon. I'm very well. Thank you, mate. Good to be with you on this rate day. Yes, I know. Big one. Mark Morland from Team Invest. Uh, good to be here, mate? too. Do you care about rates? No. Okay. Scott, do you care about rates? You know what? Normally, no, mate. There's the old quote from Lynch or Buffett about, you know, if you spend 10 minutes thinking about the market, you've wasted five minutes. Or think about the macro, <laughs> sorry, you've wasted five minutes. Which I think is generally right, except I think what, what, we, what we all are coming to terms with is it's been really, really unusual the last couple of years. So ordinarily, like I want to say to agree with Mark and say, no, of course I don't. But rates have been so dramatically important in both asset pricing and things like debt payments and that kind of stuff. Yep. I kind of think you have to be a little bit mindful of it. Look, do I care about the quarter of a point today or not from a financial perspective? Mortgage is a different question. For, for an investment, not really. But I, but I have to say, mate, I, I hope to get back to not caring about the macro a lot more in the future than we've had oh, in no. the last couple of years because you've had to know what, how likely the future was to be like the past or different to the past. I think yeah. I have an informed view on both profits and share prices. Yeah. And Mark, it doesn't seem that long ago that Philip Lowe was saying, we want to get the Reserve Bank off the front page of the newspaper. Well, they're on the front page every day now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> are. And, once think, a month. and it's probably going to continue while they're, yes. while they're going up. But it's interesting. There's a fantastic book and it's on a... Um, you can also get it on Audible for viewers called the University of Berkshire Hathaway. Right. And it's actually the, the AGMs every year for the last 50 years and what Buffett and Munger said and what was interesting. Right. Uh, and it's fantastic. And uh, it really is good because it gives you context of all those eras. Anyway, he's talking about inflation. The one I was listening to this morning right. in the 80s. And the question was, oh, were you, are you changing your strategy because of inflation? And he said, no, 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 no. Interest rates and inflation, you know, yeah, we don't pay any much, much attention to that. But what you do is you make sure you're investing in businesses that, A, don't have a lot of debt, therefore the interest rates are an issue. Mm. And if it's inflationary, businesses that can pass the costs through, the yeah, they've got they have moats. Yeah, if yeah. you can do that, then who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. It's called the University, University of Berkshire Hathaway. Okay. It is fantastic. All right. Make a note of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's look at the uh, first five stocks we got to um, uh, peruse this half hour. Atomo Diagnostics, ALS, the stock exchange, ASX, uh, Bank of Queensland and Mervac. Um, stock of the day, InvoCare, the funerals business, assessing a $1.8 billion takeover bid lobbed from TPG Capital after it amassed a 17.8% stake in the business overnight. Uh, under the proposal, InvoCare shareholders will get $12.65 cash per share, adjusted for any additional dividends or capital returns made by InvoCare prior to completing the transaction. 
the nation's leading funeral services operator, was tipped into play after a private equity uh, firm said that uh, they were a struggling business overnight. It's been a laggard, Mark Morland, haven't it? And it was interesting because I think the Financial Review had a story today showing um, deaths in Australia are the highest on an annual basis since World War II. So lots of people dying, um, but hasn't been translating through the share price. Well, there's okay. the, thing, the good thing about deaths, you know, what's the old saying? You know, deaths and taxes. taxes and, and yeah, so yeah. The point is, this, is, this kind of business should be really reliable, shouldn't it? Because yes. you can actually predict what the death rates are going to be. You know, mm. they, they operate within a range very consistently. So this should be a fabulous business, and it never has been, or not for the, long, the last 10 years. It's been a very mediocre uh, business. It, um, it, you know, I, I actually think this uh, is good news for uh, shareholders. Yep. Uh, now, why are the why are private equity trying to take it over? Because they obviously believe they can kiss it and make it yep. make it bring it back to life. Okay. Because uh, the performance of the company has been pretty mediocre right. for a long time. So the question is, what they're offering twelve dollars fifty, twelve dollars fifty six. It's up to twelve dollars thirteen now. Yeah. They will look under the hood. Yeah. Uh, and sort of potentially walk away. Do you hold? Oh, for well, the higher price, or would you get out now? If you're asking me personally, I would take it. Uh, take, take the 1231 uh, yeah, now. Absolutely. That's like a nearly 50% increase yeah. Yeah, on yeah. the current price, which at the moment Three uh, we're, showing, we're showing a negative uh, return on a margin of safety going forward over five years. So in other words, if I believe if I own it at today's price, not today's, yesterday's price, $8, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to lose money. Right. over the next five years. So you're just giving me another, giving me a 50% gain on that, I would definitely right. take it. So so sell now yes. before seeing out the takeover. That's what I would do. Okay. Scott? Yeah, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. I, I would also sell now for exactly the same reason. You've been given a, what is it, $3, $3.16 gain today. Uh, the bid price is another 70 odd cents on top of this. If you do that, do the maths. Look, there's a higher probability that you'll go ahead than doesn't. So, you know, you've got, to, you've got to kind of probabilistically weight this, work on an expected outcome, expected value, as they say, in the statistics game. But when you're offered $3.16, they say, hey, do you want the money now? Or do you want to wait and see if there might be another 70 cents? You're taking the money. Um, yeah. The share price, I'll tell you what, though, private equity know what they're doing. The share price before this was the lowest it's been in 10 years at Invercare. Right. Now, if, if you're a private equity mob, you want a really reliable cash flow business. It's been a bit, as you say, Toshi, all over the place because COVID's been COVID and a whole lot of stuff going on. But you back all that out and say, hang on, if you're private equity, what do you want? You want cash flow and lots of it. You want a reliable business. You want to be able to lever this thing up and probably float it back in a couple of years' time. And you get a chance on a $9 share price to basically say, hey, you guys want to take $12, $12.85. Plenty of investors who've had a a tough last month have said, yes, thank you very much. I'll take the money. So super, super opportunistic for InvoCare. But take the money because you're probably not going to get much more than that. Uh, you burn the hands too in the bush, take $12.11 and uh, go to the bank from there. Uh, will this be a trend, do you think? Private yeah. equity hunting now, these uh, laggards in the market? Yeah, I think it will be, mate. I think we've seen a little bit of it already. There's plenty of deals. What I would say, by the way, is we've seen a lot of potential deals that have fallen over, the old highly conditional, yes. uncertain, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, yeah, yeah, if you're private equity, of course you're going to say, hey, you know, you've got a bank full of cash. All you're doing is look around saying, let me know when we see something in temporary pain, we'll go and make a bid, speaking of Warren Buffett, right? Um, you know, we are not the greatest business in the world, but when, it, when the share price drops meaningfully to the lowest level in 10 years, and you want the cash flow, you're gonna have a look. So yeah, there's plenty <coughs> of PE mobs out there right. with checkbooks, with plenty of cash saying, you know what, when I see a business that's temporarily knocked out, 
I'm gonna go and have a look because if I can get it, A, I get it cheap, B, I could probably lever this thing up and float it back at a higher price in two or three years' time. Yeah, I think you'll see a lot of mm. money going around, at least okay. potentially going around at the moment. Okay. A lot of people stuck with horrible stocks at the moment thinking, hey, I've got one for you. <laughs> call me, call me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's get into the stocks you want us to take a look at. And um, uh, Scott, Michael wants a view on Atomo Diagnostics, the medical device company in mm. rapid diagnostic diagnostic testing devices. What do you think of Atomo as distinct from Atomos? Yes, exactly. I did make the same mistake when I first had a look. Uh, I I will share with you a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing I've told the team at the Motley Fool before Koshy, which is Phillips' law number one is never buy a company with a number in the ticker. Uh, That's generally because uh, for for the longest time, companies have been trying to be a little bit clever. You put some eights in there and try and get some of the Asian Asian buyers. You put numbers in there to try and make it look fancy. Generally speaking, or Zip had Z1P at one point. Uh, If you'd avoided companies with numbers in their tickers, I have absolutely no data to back this up but I reckon you've probably saved yourself money overall. I'm I'm not going to speculate. I'll do the numbers later. Uh, So Phillips is law number one. Don't buy a company with a number in a sticker. That being said, I also wouldn't buy a Tomo. Uh, It's a a $25 million market cap, three years of losses, wanting to be a brilliant new thing. This is every biotech ever. Some break through, some do spectacularly well. We talk about CSL and reverential tones for its long-term performance. Uh, Most don't do particularly well. That share price is a tale of woe for very good reason, which is the company's burning cash it's not yet profitable. It may or may not be at some point. Um, as with all these companies, I say every time, we hope these guys are successful because if they can bring something new to the medical diagnostics market and improve diagnosis, whether it's speed, time, cost, that's great for everybody. Uh, but the odds are definitely against you when you're buying small companies of this ilk. Uh, there's not enough to recommend it other than pure lottery ticket stuff, and that's not the way I invest. So no, I give this one a miss. Uh, Mark? Uh, yeah, no, I, it obviously... From a team invest point of view, we wouldn't we wouldn't even look at this for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is it's only got three years history, and yeah. it's been losing money for three years. Now, one right. of the other problems with these companies is when they list, you've you've come into the market. You were a private company before, so assuming yep. you weren't just an idea, it's yep. pretty hard to list an idea in yep. Australia. Yep. Yeah, usually that's a, an existing business. <clears throat> you expect it to be profitable going forward. Now I haven't gone back and read the original documentation they had when they listed, but I bet you there was a good story. Yeah. at the beginning. You would, they wouldn't have yeah. said in that document, oh, we're going to lose money for years and probably go back to the market and ask for more. But then after that, we're going to do well. Right. So there would have been an expectation they were going to do well. All they've done is lose money. They're still very small at um, 26 million. And they, do, they've, they have a rapid test H, uh, HIV drug. They've also got stuff for COVID, but that's a bit like, that's a bit yeah, passe yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a few spare kits <laughs> it's around. It's a bit, bit rapid testing kits around. Yeah, yes. yeah so... And I have no idea about that market. And as Scott said, with these biotechs like that, you'd really need to have some deep understanding of their products and the market opportunity. I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. So I don't know how you could consider investing in it. It's not even a speculation. Because yeah. if I was a speculator, at least <clears throat> at least if I uh, could look at it and say, oh, I think there's this market opportunity of uh, $500 million a year and they're only, they're only doing $20 million yeah. and so on, then you go, okay, well, maybe they can do it. But I wouldn't have a clue yeah. what yeah, it is. Yeah. So, um, their, their revenue earnings total are um, is fourteen million, and they made a loss of five point seven million on that. Okay, so right. no. not worth looking at. No, it's not worth spending time on. Okay, <clears throat> um, Mark Steve wants a view on ALS. Um, now, this is the, <clears throat> one of the world's biggest laboratories, so you get lots of people in white coats testing um, mineral assays that mining companies throw in. They're also in life sciences. They've extended a bit towards it. 
Um, uh, it's, a, it's a business that we used to like. Yeah. Now, when I say used to, I, I, I remember it from the old days and I went yeah. back and had a look. And the last work we did on it was in 2000, 2016 when we, we right. failed it. Uh, it used to be a good business and very right. reliable. And this is a because it's testing, um, uh, every, all this stuff has to be tested. And like even yeah. coal exports and so on, they test for the moisture contents and all this sort of thing. Yep. Now, there was a few scandals about that too because mm -hmm. of uh, obviously how much water, how much moisture is in these shipments gets yep. taken off from the weight of the coal or iron ore or whatever yeah. it is. And there was a, and there it was it a also, also can determine price. Oh, no, it does determine and, price. And, and the quality yeah, of the iron ore absolutely. and the quality of the yeah. coal and all yeah, so of if you if you can sort of put your hand on the scale yes. a bit. Yeah, so, and a bit of that right. went on. Uh, and there was there was challenges with it, but look, the problems with it now, and it's not look, it doesn't look bad. It passes most of our filters, apart from debt. Its debt's about one hundred and ten percent debt to equity, which is above our our, our max. But yeah. look, it looks okay. <clears throat> PE is currently twenty two, just out of the green, which is need to be twenty one to be in the green. And we're showing it returning seven point nine percent on a margin of safety <clears throat> per year for the next five years, and on default about nineteen percent, which is not bad. Uh, passes everything except debt. Right, so um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be interested in it, but it's not bad. Okay, um, Scott, what do you think of ALS? And to um, uh, it is, as Mark was saying, and this isn't casting aspersions on anyone. Um, it can be open to question. So there's a, uh, an issue with Terracom's coal at the moment, which uh, involves some testing as well. So it's got to be pretty exact the science, doesn't? it? It does, mate. It's a really technical area. And yep. look, again, it's a required task, required function because of exactly the reasons Mark's already nicely pointed out. I think the challenge, here's, here's something about numbers, by the way. If you look at the last five years, uh, ALS has doubled its profits. So you go, wow, this business is really on the up. If you look over 10 years, profits are still down. Yeah. <laughs> so both yeah. those things can be true, are <clears throat> true at the same time. That's why it's important we look at history to make sure you understand what's driven that history, but also particularly in these sort of businesses that can be cyclical, to, set, to understand really clearly what's, what's cyclical, what's secular, and then what's performance-based or company-specific. Because those three things, if you get them right, can be really useful. If you get them wrong, you can really trick yourself into believing a whole lot of stuff that may not be particularly true. Uh, the challenge for me for ALS is, look, the growth of the last five years has been really good. But again, because they're not yet above their level of 10 years ago, you're left with the question of how big can this business be? How, how, how well is it likely to perform moving forward? Are they getting back to normal, in which case you've missed the run up to a normal steady earth state or just simply a peak level of earnings, in which case there's not much left. If there is something fundamentally new and different about the business and it can justify ongoing growth at that sort of rate, you know, a double in five years is what, 14% per year, something like that compounded. Um, if it could do that for the next five years, you'll do really, really nicely. But again, unless you have a really strong reason to believe there is much more upside to come and no significant downside risk, and those two are important to look at together, then it's a tough one. The P currently is 19.6 times. Not stupidly expensive, but it's not cheap. And I think for a business like this, again, if I turn the last five years of performance without that kind of long-term historical number and said, well, maybe there is more to come, you might give it a little bit more rope. Right. At the moment, I think the PE as it is, and the fact that it hasn't yet managed to deliver profits above that historical level, probably suggest you don't want to get your feet wet. I don't know I'd rush out to sell it necessarily. Um, it may be, by the way, near or, or close to a cyclical high, in which case this might be a, you know, a, something that we might look back and go, wow, it would have been a great time to sell. I don't think it's obviously a sell at this point, but I don't think it's a buy either. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. Um, if you're in it though, you'd keep holding it? <laughs> I think so, mate, only, only yeah. because 
Yeah, the price isn't stupidly expensive. You've probably done okay with it, depending on when right, you bought it. Okay. Again, there's always tax considerations. But yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't rush out to sell it. Yeah. Mark? I wouldn't. I agree. You're right. Okay. All right. Um, Scott, John wants a view on the Australian Stock Exchange, the ASX, the uh, the manager of the uh, of the stock market platform here in Australia. It's a, yeah, so right, so it's, it's both the stock market, it's a stock market platform here in Australia, which I think is probably part of the key question when you've got to ask yourself about ASX. We know SIBO was around and doing its own thing, the business that was ChiX at one point. And the challenge for me with ASX is, this is a business that is presumed by the market to be almost bulletproof. The, the reason I say that is because profit growth has been modest, reasonably constant, but very modest, and yet you're paying 25 times earnings for this. That suggests mm. one of two things. Either there is a massive premium in there for perceived quality, and we'll come back to that, or markets expecting meaningful growth to accelerate from here. Now, I think the latter assumption would be very, very courageous to use the yes minister term. Uh, I don't know what would deliver that sort of result given what's been a relatively stable past. That being said, at a PE of 25 times, it assumes that, you, that there's almost zero risk of downside, and even then, I don't think you can justify the current price. So you've got a business that even if it didn't fall from here and keep growing at the current rate, probably wouldn't justify, almost certainly wouldn't justify the current price. If there is change, and we know, of course, don't forget, ASIC took a very dim view of ASX's failed blockchain project. I think that was always a stupid idea from the start, for the record, and I said so at the time. But what if there's more competition? If there is more downside for ASX, if your upside is limited, modest growth at best, and there's a downside risk of SIBO mm. or somebody else doing more business, and you're priced at 25 times earnings, uh, that's a recipe for very, very modest returns at best, probably negative returns, and very possibly meaningfully negative returns if mm. some of those risks do come to pass. So if I own the ASX shares today, I would sell them, I'd put my money somewhere else. Okay. Scott, does ASX fall into the InvoCare category? Uh, <laughs> share price, uh, high PE, no, share no. price four year low. It's always. Yeah. All this talk of um, <coughs> London Stock Exchange, Singapore Stock Exchange, starting to mop up international exchanges. Now, it's been blocked in the past, but as you say, SIBO's yeah. a competitor now. So there is competition here in the Australian market. It's a really good question, Koshi. I would, look, there's always a chance of a bid, yes. Yeah. Uh, I would put this on probably the second or third rung of likely takeovers oh, right. because okay. of that national interest stuff you talked about. Uh, and the risk, by the way, in and of itself, and it's not a particularly cheap price. Look, if the ASX fell 20% tomorrow because something a bit like Invocare, there may be some people come sniffing. But if yeah. you're going to rely on a, on a bid from a foreign player, uh, particularly that consolidation, I say it's been blocked in the past. If you're the federal government, there's probably nothing to be gained by letting this one go ahead, yeah. quite honestly. So uh, I, I wouldn't want to buy it on takeover okay. speculation. I'd probably say the odds are not good, but always possible. Yeah. And Mark, I suppose we were um, talking... Uh, on the call last week about um, about the big banks. The, yeah. Basically, I think you made the point. They're like big credit unions yep. at the moment. Uh, building societies. Yeah, yeah. Building societies. They've got to flog home loans. Yes. That's where they make their money. And home loans have dropped off a cliff. Mm -hmm. um, with the ASX, they make money on trading shares and companies I think, floating. I think, I think and if you're in a downturn... Yeah. I think Less most of the, going. I think a lot of their money comes from listing fees and the compliance staff and all the right. you know, they charge they charge all listed companies. One of the problems being a small cap is all the fees you've got to pay right. ASX right. and so on. And they want to do investigation and they make you pay for it, yeah. basically. Yeah, so yeah. so there are a lot of it's a lot of that continues on. on. Right. But if there's not a lot of new floats, yeah. then obviously that hits their income. But I totally I totally agree with uh, uh, what Scott said. The 
ASX has always been expensive. There's always been a massive premium because of its perceived safety. Now, it has had very strong moats. And even when um, Chi-X came in, you know, which was you know, arguably breaking up their monopoly moat, and a monopoly yep. moat is the best moat you can have. Yep. It means you've got no competitors. Even now, after all these years, they haven't really made big inroads. So ASX has still got the majority of the market share. It's a little bit similar to Telstra, when Telstra was on its own yep. and had a monopoly, and then they broke it up, and it took, you know, yep. it took, it's, Telstra's still the biggest player. Even yeah. with all these other all these other players over after twenty years of competition, so ASX does have a very strong moat. But the trouble is, we're investing, so I'm going to put a dollar at risk uh, for, over time, and then what am I going to get? Now the problem is, ASX forgetting the debacle, which has been a shocker with the failure of their new blockchain yeah. uh, system, which they're going to roll off hundreds of millions on. But even putting that aside, I think what it showed is a lazy management. Right. You know the management, and that that's, that was in the part of the criticism that uh, the regulators said to them that they basically didn't seem to know what's going on, and mm. you know, and it was everyone's going, oh well, hang on, we'll fix it. And it was, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. it was a real because it's a, a simple business, as Buffett says, he wants businesses that an idiot can run. Yeah. ASX would fit into that category, right. but now you've got a, you've got a history of. Uh, about 2% EPS growth rate. Now that's not even inflation, yep. which means it's not growing at all. There's no growth. Yep. So therefore, if I to get a reasonable return, and we're now in an environment where interest rates are you know, 5% or, uh, or more, I need to get a premium on that if I'm going to buy ASX. Okay. We're showing it losing 2.7% a year on its current PE, and the PE should be about, at the moment, on about 8 or 10. Right. That's what it should be. Right. But it's not going to go there. No. So why would you buy it? So I totally yeah. agree it's a sell. But, yeah, and the share price just in August was $90. And now yeah. it's down yeah, in the low yeah. 60s. I, it, it's past our filters forever apart from on our return filters. Right. In other words, it's passed on other things. Which is a pretty important one. It, it's, <laughs> like, it's like, you, you want to buy a quality business, for sure. But you've got to buy it at a price that gives you a return. Otherwise, yeah. who are you kidding? Yeah, exactly. Uh, John wants to know, does Bank of Queensland, Mark, give you a return? Uh, Bank no. of Queensland, one of the biggest of the, the regional banks. There's been a view on the call for the last, oh, I think, month, two months, sell banks. It's been pink, pink bank season, yep. particularly for the big four. Does that apply to the regionals? Well, well? yes, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. And, and if you look at uh, Bank of Queensland's, uh, now they're splitting at the moment, aren't they, with the insurer? They've already done that. Because yeah. I don't follow it, but they're, yeah. they're splitting yeah. the insurance yes. uh, division out and so on. But I don't think yeah. that makes any difference because if you look at their, their EPS growth rate's been negative 5% over the last six years with very high stability. So right. it's going backwards slightly, uh, which is like, well, hello. Yeah. Yeah, well, how, can, how can you invest in that? Its return on equity is only 7.6%, which is below our absolute minimum of 10. And remember, return on equity is a bit like a speed limit on what you can get as a return over time on an yep. equivalent PE ratio. Um, and the PE ratio currently is nine. Okay, so that's historically in the green. It's not that bad, but still, we're showing a negative return mm. going forward. Um, it's, it's just a mediocre business, which yep. you, your money, is, I would argue, goes slowly backwards. Okay. Uh, Scott, what do you think of Bank of Queensland and, and seeing that price chart not nearly as good as, say, the Commonwealth Bank? Uh, Commonwealth Bank is unsustainably expensive. Gosh, let me, yeah. let me, I, I'm happy to be a little bit clearer on that one. Uh, you, we, can, we, can, we can argue the toss on Bank of Queensland given the level of profitability and given the PE. Commonwealth Bank is clearly the best performing bank in Australia. We tend to say it's the highest quality bank, but I think what we're really saying is it's done best in the past because it has the largest mortgage book mm. and 
If that continues, that's great. Or it could be potentially confusing as a cyclical gain or a cyclical performance for structural strength. Uh, we may well find if home loans do start to peter off, maybe it's the business banks that actually mm-hmm. are doing better. So I'm always hesitant in a, in a what's been a long term, it's almost too long to be a cycle, but what's been a really significant move around residential pricing, residential housing, the, comp- the, the bank with the biggest mortgage book, home mortgage book, is always going to do best because house prices are going through the roof. And if you can lend more to those people, you're doing very, very nicely. I, my concern with Bank of Queensland, firstly, I think, look, I, you know, I probably do prefer the regionals as a group to the majors um, yeah. because they tend to be cheaper, frankly. And so, you, just, you know, the system is the system is the system. Some will take market share for sure. Um, but let's go back to a couple of things. Firstly, we saw in the paper only a week or so ago, Macquarie is absolutely streeting the field yeah. when it comes to home loan growth. So we think about the big four, we think about the regionals. We don't tend to talk about Macquarie largely because it's more than just a, a home lender. Yep. Um, but its growth has been two, three and four times the rate of growth of mortgage book uh, owner-occupier loans in particular to the majors. When it comes to the banks too, don't forget that we saw ANZ come out, I think it was yesterday, um, talking about the fact that they had qualified their most recent borrowers at the then prevailing interest rate plus 2.5%. At 2% interest rates, 25 on top of that, 45 We know plenty of banks are now having to charge much more than that. And they don't know, at least they, they don't think they know whether the borrowers can afford to repay that. So you're in a situation where the borrowers are saying, well, I don't know what comes next. Uh, and so, you know, that sort of situation, maybe everything's fine. But if we see another rate rise today, if we see some more, we see meaningful economic pain, if we see meaningful foreclosures or people having to sell, maybe it just pushes prices down. Maybe it is bad debts for the banks. I, the prices have fallen. There is some recognition in the price of the dire straits that they may be in if the worst comes to the worst. But again, I, I wanted to remind some viewers that in the early 1990s, Westpac and ANZ almost went to the wall. Yep. You know, th- this is not a, and again, I'm not, not predicting that. I'm just saying, you know, if, you, if you've been investing for 10, 15 or 20 years, you're looking and saying, well, of course the banks are great. They're super strong. They won't be allowed to fail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe not, but this is not a fait accompli. This is not a, a situation that can't possibly come to pass. So I'm not a doom and gloomer. I don't hate the banks, but I just don't see the potential reward there based on what could go wrong. So uh, I don't hate Bank of Queensland. I probably wouldn't even necessarily sell it if I owned it, frankly, at nine odd times earnings, um, 7.2% dividend yield, at least based on the trailing numbers. So, you know, you probably own it for the right reasons. Hopefully you're not overexposed to any particular bank or even the banking sector as a whole. Uh, I don't hate it. I probably wouldn't say sell. I definitely would be buying it though. Okay. So a hold on uh, Bank of Queensland. Just to reiterate that the banks are much better capitalised <laughs> than they were in that period that Scott was talking about that we all went through, which was a very, very scary scary period. That was, uh, what, early early 90s, was it? Late 90s? Uh, yeah, early nineties, mate. Yeah, with yeah. the with the kind of the, the recession we had around that yeah. time, a lot of a lot of bad lending done don't, during the eighties. It was a bit of yeah. a, a bit of a catch up. You're right, mate. I don't want, I don't want to draw a straight parallel. I just wanted to make the yeah. point that I think a lot of people tend to believe that somehow the banks are bulletproof, and I just you know I want yeah. to make the point that. I don't think they're going to go broke. Being wrong. If I did, I'd, I'd say something else. But it, yeah. it's, but it's very possible that the earnings they're reporting now end up being meaningfully lower. If that's the case, what looks like a cheap PE at nine could be expensive at twenty, yeah. for example. Right. Sure. So just worth keeping that in mind. Okay. Uh, Mark Nicole wants a view on <clears throat> Mervac, the property group. Mervac's a bit different to a lot of others, is there? It's got a bit of retail, um, a lot in um, residential building as well. 
Which makes it harder. It's a yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. I think they've got sixty-eight shopping centres. Shopping centres. Yeah, um, yeah. So look, it's it's a it's a eight point seven billion dollar uh, business. It's been around around for a long time, but the problem is its performance is terrible, and it's been flat. Earnings have been flat for. In fact, if you look at how much their earnings were back in two thousand and twelve, uh, earnings per share were forty-one cents, and now they are five cents. Right. So, and there was one period where it jumped right up there in 2018. Other than that, it's been flat and then down over the last 12 months. So I'm showing the trailing PE at 42, which is right at the top of the red as far as its maximum PE level. A PE of 42 for a builder. Yep. And part of the reason is their earnings have dropped down Mm -hmm. and the market hasn't change the price as much, you know, as justified. So it's a sea of red on our system. So we call this a triple red, which is the opposite of a triple green. Right. So so three times you don't want to buy this thing. Anyway, we're showing showing negative returns of 18% a year average over the next five years at this current price. Right. So I would, and it's ROE is about 5%, return on capital is 4% and it's always been bad. It's only ever been over 10 once in a decade. I wouldn't say, I'd sell it. Um, because Scott, it's regarded as being a good builder, isn't it? You know, when when you go and buy a unit in a block that's been built by Mervac, everyone goes, "Oh, you pay a premium because Mervac's a good builder." You do, mate. I think the challenge, though, comes down to the economics of these sort of businesses. And we talked, to, you know, Mark talked about monopoly business. The opposite of that is a a commodity business, and. You're right, there is some brand premium in the Mervac uh, buildings, and probably for very good reason, but there's not that much premium. There's only so much more you can charge for real estate, particularly residential, but even uh, but less so, sorry, I should say, uh, commercial industrial, where it you know, calms down to effectively the, the available yield. And so you kind of think about these guys and think, okay, where is the where is the upside potential? Where do they make some money? I, I, generally speaking, and not, not, not every time, generally speaking, these things tend to work a bit in a lockstep as an industry. That is, when there are favourable prices for the industry, then they do reasonably well. When there's not, they don't. Very, very unusual for a builder to be able to command, you know, extra margin for any extended period of time. For the reason you would expect, right? There's just a lot of potential out there for development for property, and so depending on what you're buying and who you're buying it from, there's not a lot of room in terms of margin and price. Now, that being said, uh, the challenge I think for property is. Again, the economy in the in the not too distant future. Now, I'm very happy, as I've said before on the program, to buy stuff facing a bleak short-term future, particularly if the price is attractive, because I'm happy to say, well, hang on, in two, three, four, five years' time, when we're on the other side of that bleak future, if this is still a business worth owning, then you want to own it. And if you get it for a good price because the market's scared, then you want to buy it. Yeah. The problem is, to Mark's point, the economics aren't great, and the pricing at 15-odd times earnings that I've got here, I know Mark had a different number, but either way, um, neither of those numbers is particularly attractive going into potentially a downturn and right. the, the time value of money on the other side of that. Um, I, there's a 4.6% yield on it. Uh, if you own it as part of an income portfolio, you might say, as long as it's a small portion, you might be able to hold it. I wouldn't buy it at this price for income. You might hold it. Otherwise, I think I'm with Mark. I'd sell. Okay. All right, let's recap the first five stocks. Invocare, which uh, is under takeover bid, by private equity, um, both Scott and Mark say, sell at this price, don't wait for the takeover to go through. Uh, Atomo Diagnostics, no from both ALS, a no from both ASX Cell. Bank of Queensland, hold from um, Scott, a no from Mark. Uh, Mervac, a sell from both, except <coughs> if you have it as part of an income portfolio, 
where you may look at holding it. Um, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy fund as picked by our investment committee. Now, the latest episode of the committee meeting goes to air this afternoon um, at um, and will be on the platform from 4.40 this afternoon, but will go um, up on um, on Ausbiz at 4 p.m. this afternoon. Now, February, the last meeting, a, a while ago, um, Aristocrat and JB Hi-Fi were removed, Paradigm and New Century Resources added, BHP, CSL and Boss Energy weightings were increased. So uh, since the uh, first of March last year, up almost 13%. So don't forget, new committee meeting goes up this afternoon. And uh, speaking of this afternoon, don't forget, you will see the Reserve Bank rate decision live here at 2.30 Eastern Daylight Time. And uh, the whole team will be here to uh, analyse particularly the wording that comes with the uh, the actual result. Uh, virtually unanimous um, belief that interest rates will go up a quarter percent, but it's what the Reserve Bank says about that increase, which the markets will be waiting on. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, this half hour on the call, we'll take a look at vicinity centres, Cube Holdings, EQT Holding. If you're thinking, what the hell's EQT? That's Equity Trustees. Uh, they changed their name to be a bit groovier. Uh, Austin Engineering Limited and Saunders International. Uh, Mark Mitchell wants a view on vicinity centres, the, uh, the shopping centre owner. Yeah. Basically a REIT. Yes, yeah, well, I don't like REITs um, no. for the Why? reason. Well, a couple of reasons. One is that uh, a major part of their uh, profitability is based on property revaluations. Right. So in other words, they revalue the properties and that shows a profit, which is not a cash profit. It's a, and, and from a cycle point of view now, with interest rates going up, you know, it's very dubious of whether uh, real estate values are going to continue to go up. Yep. Uh, in certain sectors they might. You've got industrial stronger than retail. and you know, there's, it, there's, It's not all doom and gloom, but we're at the higher end of the cycle particularly with interest rates that go where they are now. And the other problem with the REITs is that the returns are quite low and people have been accepting low returns on REITs like say 4% or something like that as income. Yeah. And that's been fine in a non-inflationary or a zero effectively interest rate environment. That's now changed, which means that a lot of the valuations of these REITs are way over the top if you're taking in the cost of money and time and saying, well, I now need 10% return yep. minimum. And if that's the case, what's going to happen to the, these P ratios are going to come down dramatically. Now, the other problem is uh, this one particularly fails a lot of our filters. Return on equity is 4%. So there's a lot of red all over the place. And we're showing um, a, a its growth rate of earnings over the last six years at negative 27% a year. Right. So sales have, have been negative 6%. So revenues off a bit, but that's been much more stable. And earnings have been much more fluctuating right. all over the place. So there's no right. stability, which makes it very right. difficult yep. to say, well, what do I think is going to happen over the next five years? I wouldn't have yep. a clue. Uh, but it's negative. And because it's negative, it means you're going to lose money if you buy it. So I, 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 I wouldn't touch it. And if I had it, I think I would definitely be, I'd like to sell it. Okay. Because, Scott, you look at its share price chart. Here's mm. a REIT 
in shopping centres going into an economic downturn and we're starting to see retail sales fall off and its share prices sort of quite strong at the moment. Yeah, um, you, you pose that as almost a rhetorical question and uh, given it's a rhetorical question, I don't have an answer for you because I think that's exactly my uh, the, the same concerns I would have. I have, a, I have a broader one though, mate, which is that I don't love the Sanity Centre's uh, general um, structure. When it comes to the sorts of properties they own, I worry these guys are stuck pretty much in the middle of what's a tough economic circumstance. When it comes to the changes, we talked about e-commerce a lot during COVID. On the flip side of that, we've seen some of those sales recede because we went back to the shops and those things are kind of the, the cyclical um, you know, one-off factors. You look at business, I've said it before, like David Jones and Meyer, who are boosting their e-commerce sales at 25% per year over time. And you ask yourself, let's fast forward. Let, let's, you know, we don't talk about the, the big trends sometimes. They kind of bubble away along the, uh, under the surface. If you get that sort of growth for any extended period of time, and I think we will, by the way, then what happens to physical retail? I think mm. the local shopping centers are probably fine because you're going to grab your, your groceries from Woolies. I think the, the center group, the Westfield centers, are probably fine-ish because it's the day out, it's the premium locations, it's the, you know, it's almost, they're almost there. It's almost like being at the airport, right? You're there, you're there to say, I'm, I'm a valuable brand, look at my shop, buy my products, please. Um, the stuff in between, the, the, the kind of regional or sub-regional centers, the ones that aren't either super convenient nor a destination, uh, I, I really do worry. We've seen mm. so many malls in the US go, go broke. Uh, less of an issue here. I don't think we'll have the same extremities of outcomes here. But yeah, I, don't, I just don't love the, I don't love the, the fundamentals of, of the businesses that would otherwise be in these centers. So real estate's always got some value. Maybe they get turned into, maybe I'm wrong, by the way. Maybe shopping centers are fine. Maybe they get turned into residential developments. Maybe something else happens. But uh, along with what Mark's already said, it's, it's a very, very tough case to make. If there is one, you might look at both Mervac and Vicinity, by the way, and look at their price to book value. Both these are trading below the reported value of their assets. Now, that's two things either. The assets are overvalued in the market's view, probable, or the market's simply too pessimistic because there is property there that if you had to buy, you'd pay more than the current share price for. In mm. theory, that's worth something if those property values can be sustained or if they fall but then return to these levels at some point. So there is a an argument to be made to look at the book value and say at a cheap enough discount there's some there's some you know uh, some value there just because the, the the assets themselves are more expensive than the share price uh but that's a longish bow i don't think discounts are big enough given the, the potential headwinds okay. i think the senate is facing okay so because you've had a good run up in the last six months from a dollar 60 yeah. odd to over two dollars so yep. would you take your money and run if you're in it I, I would, mate. It, right. it, you know, it, it, the PE is too expensive. We're potentially going into a downturn, but I'm more worried about the long-term secular stuff. If you bought it, you made some money, or maybe you've held it, you, you've lost some, then made some more money back. Uh, you're being offered a pretty good price. Doesn't mean it can't go higher. Anything can happen from here. Uh, but I, on balance, okay. I don't think this is likely to be a market beat. So, like with Mark, um, a sell on uh, on vicinity. Uh, David wants so. a view, Scott, on Cube, the old Patrick's, the big logistics, Steve adoring. They run the container wharves, tugboats, and, and the light. So these are, generally speaking, uh, often a, a group of monopoly or oligopoly assets, which is pretty attractive, as we've talked about a couple of times already. Uh, not entirely, necessarily, often often part of a duopoly or, or multiple players, but it's a pretty good place to be. There's only so many waterfront ports, there's only so many logistics, uh, particularly vertically integrated logistics operations. So Cube is a, is a quality business. The challenge I've got with Cube is the earnings have been moderate to okay growth-wise, but you're paying 28 times earnings for that growth. 
I really do think we'll talk about this a little bit, I think, in different companies over time. But talk about Woolies and Coles before. We've talked about ASX today. We've talked about Cube as well. You're paying a lot. If you had to value these things from, from the ground up, you wouldn't assign the current price. A lot of investors are paying up for these businesses because they see them as defensive assets or high-quality assets. Yep. And that's fine, but you don't want to pay twice for quality, right? They, they are, the quality is already in the profit. So paying twice for that quality by paying up 20-plus times earnings, you're either hoping that everyone else continues to love this as much as you do and the share price won't fall, or that somehow they find some growth because the other alternative is if and when the market says, yeah, we liked it for its defensive and quality characteristics, we're now going to go and look for something else. Maybe they get back into growth in a tech or something else, and you see the share price ebb away without any fundamental underpinning for the valuation. So uh, I don't love the price at the current level. I would sell it. I don't think you're going to get a market beating return with 28 times earnings. You're probably not going to attract the market. You're probably going to lose over the medium term unless there's something fancy that happens at the company or unless you just get lucky enough that investors love it forever as much as you do. And that's always possible. We've seen it with others. Uh, so it's possible, but it's not an investment thesis in my view. Okay. Mark? Yes, I agree. And this, is a, this has a return on capital of 3.5%. Right. which is, uh, even though I, I sort of largely agree with what Scott says, they do have quite monopolistic uh, aspects to their business, but they're not being able to turn that into excess returns because that's really the key with a moat. What you're trying to do is use it to give you pricing power or right. to stop competitors. Right. So if for them, it makes it hard for competitors because they've yep. got, the, they've got yep. the real estate, if you like, uh, but it's not giving them any pricing power. It is a tough area, remember, because we're in the stevedores and the whole waterfront stuff. It's very unionised. There's a lot yep. of... It's a, it's a tough but area. Tra- but trade's coming back post-pandemic. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can opening. make money because you know, right. a lot of unions, obviously, often will see that as being an opportunity to push for more right. for higher wages. And so, so Patrick, you'll remember, was very disruptive yeah, at the time because he basically so. did the, you know, took the hard line and fired everybody and you know that's yeah. that's all long gone Chris, now. It's back Chris, to business Chris, as usual I think. X, XBT it wasn't? Uh, something like that. Chris, yeah. uh, Chris Corrigan. Corrigan that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Took the unions on. That's right yep. and that was great because it needed to happen but I think the unions are back in control. Right. <laughs> I think that was a bit of an aberration. So like, I think it's too hard. We're showing a returning about 2% a year. Right. And it's got quite lumpy uh, earnings. It does have a bit of growth. Uh, but the return on equity kills it for us because it's just so low. Uh, you know, there's just better companies around. In fact, okay. I've never seen so many companies with super low return on equity as we've had today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I been know. just about all of them. But with pretty good share prices. Again, well, the share that, price. Yeah, but that's um, they're unrelated concepts. Right. You know, what we're saying on one hand is quality of the business and then what the market will pay for it. Right. But you, you're, I think you're attributing too much credit to the market knowing what they're doing. <laughs> I'm being naive, thinking the market knows what it's doing. Yeah, all right. Uh, that's a fair enough point, too. Um, all right, uh, let's go on to our next stock. And uh, this is the old equity trustees. Mark, Kevin wants a view on EQT. They've called themselves now independent trustee and executive company, uh, wealth management, uh, private client superannuation services uh, in Australia, UK, and Ireland. Yeah, uh, growth rate's been about 6% uh, with pretty good stability. This is a this should be a super reliable business. Little, I won't yes. say it's like the ASX, but it's, it, it, it's, it's, provide, it's a niche, but they're a dominant player in the yeah. niche. However, the funds management side of it, there's quite a lot of aspects that are under major change at the moment. So it's, a, it's an area that there's been quite a lot of, um, cha- lot of changes, not so much in the 
compliance side that they're doing yeah. a lot of, but they, they cross over into that as well. Yeah. So A um, similar issue with Perpetual, isn't it? Yeah, they're yeah, that's the right. competitor. So difficult times for them. They're on a PE of 29. It's also expensive. It's quite close to their, the red, which is the top quartile. And we're showing you returning about 1% a year on a margin of safety because that PE of 29 for 6% EPS growth rate is just too high. Yeah. It also fails on ROE as well at 8.6, but it's not a bad fail. No. It's a moderate no. fail okay. on that. So we wouldn't, we, we'd never get up our filters to the point where we'd even look at it. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't got much debt. It's not, it's not, you know, there's no risk of this business going broke. It's just that I think the performance isn't good enough to justify the price. Okay. Um, Scott, what do you think of uh, equity trustees? As Mark was saying, it's always been seen as, you know, a stodgy, reliable performer, has it? Oh, I think you put yourself on mute there. No, so, I'm not muted. Oh, no, there we go. Yep, got you I'll back. I'll tell you. There you um, that's okay. I, uh, so I, I want to disagree with Mark just to make this entertaining, but I can't really. Uh, you're right, Crush. It is a stodgy, you know, reliable business, that, and, and it's a perfectly good business. As we've said a couple of times during this program and probably in the past as well, you want to analyze the business, and then you want to work out what's a good price. And there is no harm in saying, hey, there's a great group of fantastic businesses over here that are doing wonderful things for their shareholders. They are putting their, 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 you know, their, their talents to work, they're generating value, that's all good. Uh, but do I want to buy them at the current price? No, I don't. If I get a chance, I might, a la the private equity takeover of Invocare, if I get a chance, I might go and say, great, I'll, I'll grab some shares of EQT at some future point. Uh, but now is not the time because you're not offered a particularly attractive return given the price you're paying for that stodgy reliableness. <laughs> and so that's the uh, that's the situation that we are with, with EQT, I think. Uh, by the way, if you if a company changes its corporate name, I'm also going to put a black mark against it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a gray mark. Um, yeah, we saw, we saw shopping centers Australasia become region for regions that, reasons yeah. that surpass understanding. Um, you know, they, they change their corporate monikers and good on them, but you kind of wonder how much value is being created versus how much money is being spent on the rebranding and letterhead printing. Um, so look, yeah, it, it's, it's a fine business. It's, I actually quite like financial services businesses, generally speaking, because the tailwinds are pretty good, uh, but only if you're paying a good price. This one's just not a good price, unfortunately. Okay. Well, what's a financial services business, saying we've been all sells and no's today, what, uh, <laughs> what's a financial services business that you like? At the moment. Uh, so this, Mark will hate this one. Uh, one I own, which I quite like, is Australian Ethical. Uh, it's it's oh, really expensive yeah. based on the current PE. Um, right. So I, I, you know, it's, it's one you want to you want to buy if you believe in the long term growth story. Um, I, for, so I said I own the share. So full disclosure there. Um, I think ethical funds or people like putting money in ethical investments or aims are doing so almost more often than not uh, with a with returns being secondary. What that does, I think, is it makes the money stickier because they're, they're investing with some sort of conscience. Uh, and I think the long-term growth of that business for, from a really small position now, if they grow well, I think you know, they can mm. turn moderate fund growth into pretty good bottom line growth. So uh, it's not a, not, a, not a slam dunk. It is expensive. It's come down a lot, by the way, recently. Um, so I own those shares. I think it's a good long-term play, mm. uh, specifically because I think investors who consider themselves ethical are just stickier and less price sensitive, and that gives Australian Ethical a, a bit of a leg up. No. <laughs> how, well, how much did you hate that, Mark? Uh, well, <laughs> I think I think I think you made a good point, though, Scott, about the that investors are there's a, uh, there's a significant number of investors who are attracted to these funds because they yes. want to see their their capital working ethically. And I agree with Scott that the returns on those investments is a secondary issue. Right. Australian e Equity has actually done very well with its portfolios. But we, we've done work on it and we've generally failed it. And the main reason we failed the company was 
they paid themselves massively. Like the, the, uh, the salaries all the exec gets and so on are, I think, ridiculously high. Um, yet they have performed well, and it looks suspicious to me. Right. You know, in other words, okay. I think their performance is too good for what right. they do and how much they charge for, uh, and they've dropped oh, their, they've recently dropped their rates as far as how much they're charging their, the, uh, the fund hold, the management fees right. have gone down. Right. Anyway, I'm, I can't, I'll, I'll be okay. careful what I say, but All right. it doesn't okay. compute to we'll me. We'll move on. <laughs> uh, Simone wants to know, Scott, whether um, you like Austin Engineering Limited. I don't think Austin's ever come up on uh, since I've been doing the call. Um, designs and manufactures uh, highway, off-highway mm. truck bodies, buckets, water tanks, tire handlers, and things like that. Uh, Asia Pacific, North America, South America as well. So I never, I never looked at this one either, Koshi. So no. I was, you know, when we get some of these questions, I'm always glad to have a bit of a dig around. So I will say, I, again, just for what it's worth in saying that, uh, I don't know this super well. So, uh, you know, I want anyone who's then listen to what I say next, uh, just to keep, uh, take it with a bit of a grain of salt, make sure you do your own research. I'm not an expert in this particular <sighs> one, but I really like what I see, I've got to say, mate. This is a relatively inexpensive business. I think it trades about 10 odd times earnings, um, and it's not an unattractive industry to be in over the long term. If you find a little niche business that's got a decent long-term record, uh, it's, a, it's a relatively attractive industry, I think, to be in. I think there's gonna be continued growth in this industry for, for meaningful amounts of time to come. So. I, you know, I like looking at some of these small businesses that have something going for them. Uh, obviously, doing a doing a pretty good job as a as an operating business, which is good. Yeah. Um, the financials look a bit messy because they made a stonking profit in 2013, then a couple of years of losses. But the returns since have been pretty consistent, actually pretty good. So you've got this slowly or moderately growing business actually, uh, with a growing return on equity. Uh, reasonably inexpensive share price. I'm going to make this one a buy uh, with that asterisk uh-huh. that I don't know it super well. Uh, but if I had to, if you ask me, do I think it's going to beat the market? I think, yeah, it probably will if it can keep doing what it's doing. Now, as I've said before about some others, there is a chance where we're looking at a cyclical business here, and it's very possible in hindsight. We look back at 2022 and say, well, that was a cyclical high, yeah. in which case there's a reason for the shares to be cheap and the performance that I think I see may well go south. Uh, but a cautious buy from me on Austin Engineering. Okay. Uh, Mark, uh, uh, looks a little illiquid from the uh, from the chart. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm actually just going back and trying to read some of our <laughs> the work we did on it. We used to like Austin, and it, it actually did. If you go back, and I think Scott mentioned before, you need to look at the history over yes. time. And if we look at Austin's history over over the years, it's uh, ten years ago. Uh, its earnings were um, about. Actually, I'm trying to guess now. I think they're about 29 cents or something. I'm guessing yeah. now they're three cents. Right. So you're looking at a graph there that's only going back three or four years. So if you go 10 yeah, years, yeah. what happened in 2012, the, the company was doing really, really well. It was like 30 cents earnings per share, right. like 10 times what it is now. They then made a major acquisition called Gaia or something in right. Singapore at the time. And I remember we took the view that it was one of those transformative acquisitions. And there's a real lesson in this. Yeah. The business they bought was another... Sorry, I'm, I'm getting my... Um, I'm getting my companies confused here. Right. Just, just cancel what I just said. Right, okay. The earnings one was correct. Right. They've gone from 28 cents or something down to uh, 3 cents. They, they suffered through the mining cycle. So this is yep. a very cyclical mining uh, orientated business. And Austin, um, basically when the mining business dropped off in about 212, when BHP and Rio went to the ground and stopped yep. developing, Austin took a really big hit. So their earnings collapsed. Right. And they went right, they were made losses for a while and then they've now leveled off at about 2 or 3 cents and they're looking a bit better and their earnings are starting to grow again. So it's the kind of thing that'll probably reappear on our uh, radar 
So right. uh, at the moment, we're showing it about eight and a half percent per year uh, return on a margin of safety, which is on is low. It's on a P of fourteen, but that's in the red for them. So right. they've had quite a low P for a long time. Uh, ROE is nineteen percent, and uh, growth rate is uh, is quite strong. Although sales are still pretty flat. Right. So I, I'm, I'll say ten. If we if we were trying to find something to buy, I'll I'll I'll, I'll you do a to buy to just as well. Just to, yeah, to support support Scott. Oh well, there you go. There's a team <laughs> effort. Um, not very convincing from no, either no, of you, no. but uh, at least it gives us some hope. Well, it passes all our filters. So it's okay. hard to say. Yes. No. Okay. Uh, final stop, Mark Mo wants a view on Saunders International, another engineering construction company. Um, maintenance of steel bulk liquid storage facilities, tanks, roads, rail bridges in that infrastructure area. What do you think of Saunders? Uh, SNQ, is it? SNQ. Yeah. SND. That's why I can't find it. SND Saunders. There's another company I never heard of yeah. <laughs> before today. Um, it's got a market cap of 123 million. Engineering business. Yep. Engineering businesses by nature, like, like Austin is largely an engineering yes. business, are, are quite cyclical. Yeah. yeah, with the cycle. Uh, they're also contract based, which means that they rely on doing new deals all the time. So yep. they've got lots of avenues to the business, but it just means that uh, you're, you're only as good as what your uh, current contract flow is. And, yep. and I, I read a little bit about them and they, they have two types of pricing. One is cost plus, which is safe. Yeah. And the other one is fixed price right. contract. Now fixed price contracts, of course, if you get it wrong, you can take a big hit. Yep. And there's been plenty of engineering companies and one of the famous ones was Forge. Yeah. In 212, that went broke when yeah. they had a they did a 200 million dollar contract with Rio. It was fixed price at the time when wages went through the roof. Yeah, then went broke. It was the end of the right. company. Right. A fixed price contract, no way of putting on extra yeah. costs. So you've got to be careful. You've got to accept there's a fair amount of risk in these businesses. Um, it's uh, got 130 million in sales. And it's making about six and a half million with a five percent profit margin. So look, it, it looks it looks okay. We're showing it returning 11 on a margin of safety and about 20 percent on default. It passes all our filters except stability, which is at 53%, and we need at least 65%. So right. the earnings have been you know, lumpy, that's what that means. Yeah. But look, it's an, okay, it's an okay business. It's not something I would get excited about. It's on a 14P, which is pretty good from a price point of view. Uh, and the main issue is the fact that it's uh, the nature of the contracting business, and yep. we're, we're, we've been burnt before. <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose okay. that's... All right, Scott, what do you think of uh, Saunders again? Tightly held, not much volume. Mm. No, there's not, mate. I, I really don't like uh, construction engineering businesses, generally speaking, because to, to Mark's point, they're taking on a whole lot of risk when you do a fixed price deal. Even on the cost plus side, though, um, what are you doing? You're, again, we're talking about commodity businesses. There are, I don't know, tens, probably scores of potential engineering construction businesses out there all competing for the mm-hmm. business. So even if it's cost plus, it's cost plus as little as possible Mm. To win the contract, yeah. or as much as possible, win the contract. I should say, but if you're the if you're the uh, you know uh, commissioning uh, project manager, you're going to say, well, I'll take whichever of you guys can a do the job and b can then do it most cheaply relative to that cost. So yeah. either way, you're really in some significant pressure. Um, they're just not good quality businesses at the best of times. Some of them get big enough, some of them do enough projects, but it tends to be one of those things where scale doesn't necessarily give you a lot of benefit because they're all individually project costed. It just means that that total scale, some of the big names we're talking yeah. about from time to time, they just have to be bigger, not necessarily more profitable, even better. Uh, they might get favorable access. They might have the ability, uh, given their size, to take on more complex projects where there's maybe a little bit less competition. You just don't want to be in this space, in my view, yeah. mate. I've never owned one. I can't imagine I've ever owned one. Maybe if I get a cheap enough price or something fancy happens, it maybe. Yeah. Um, they're just not, you know, we talked about great businesses before at the wrong price. 
this to my mind, these sort of businesses are just not good quality businesses in the first instance for those reasons. Uh, so unless you get a crackingly good price, uh, I'd stay well away. Yeah, yeah. Five-year high the share price at the yeah, moment. We actually, well. we actually looked at NRW, which is another engineering company, yep, which yep. looks actually good financially. We failed it. It was a unanimous fail a couple of weeks ago in Perth. Right. And the reason was everything was at the best it's ever been. Right. So if yeah, you look yeah. at it from a cycle point of view, you, 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 the, it well, doesn't get much like better than this. Like it's the share exactly. price now. Exactly. Five so in other words, you look, you're looking at maybe it won't get any better than this. Right. So Sorry, it's definitely not a good time to buy them. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, check the final five uh, stocks yeah. vicinity of sell from both uh, Cube, a sell from uh, Scott and O from Mark. Uh, EQT, a no from both Austin, a, 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 a buy from both, but a tentative buy, can't say a strong buy, uh, and uh, Saunders, a no from both. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, great to have you aboard, mate. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, Koshy. Thanks, Mark. Right, Mark really Ballin from Team Invest. Thank you. Likewise. See you, Scott. All right, that's our show for today. A reminder, join us today, 2 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time, live coverage of the uh, the March RBA rates decision. Uh, Amy Osters, uh, PwC Chief Economist, amongst our guests, David Flanagan, Patrick Igrabal as well, all joining us for the latest analysis, along with, uh, with Scuddy, Kyle and Nadine. You'll be right across it. Stay with us now. We'll get you across the latest moves, including a view on the markets with Henry Jennings. That's next on The Pulse.